selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Hello and welcome to the Spike Podcast. I'm Fraser Myers and this week Ella Whelan is back. Hello. Hi. And we're thrilled to be joined by stand-up comedian and co-host of Trigonometry, Constantin Kissin. Thanks for having me guys. Appreciate it. Good to see you again. In the flesh as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for coming. Coming up on today's show, the deplatforming campaign against Joe Rogan, the rise of the Thought Police, and Justin Trudeau versus the Truckers. So in the past week or so, there's been a huge amount of controversy over the podcast host, uh, Joe Rogan. He's been accused of platforming misinformation on his extremely popular podcast. Spotify has come under enormous pressure to drop him. Artists like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell have been essentially um, refusing to host their material on there until they do something about this misinformation. Even the White House has got involved calling for big tech to do more to stamp out this stuff. Constantin, what have you made of this? There's a sort of desperation to cancel Joe Rogan at this point, isn't there? Mm. Well, the, the thing that makes me laugh about all of this the most is the idea that if they took him off Spotify, people would stop listening to Joe Rogan. <laughs> like, this is completely ridiculous. The, the point is, people listen to Joe Rogan because he has a great show. Yeah. And if he did, wasn't on Spotify, he'd be somewhere else doing the same thing. So unless they're going to assassinate Joe Rogan, they're not going to get rid of him. And that's why I've been arguing from the beginning that if you think what he's saying is misinformation, information. Yeah. It is your job to then go out and provide the arguments against what he's saying in a persuasive way, which I think needs to be done because, yeah. uh, you know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Joe and we speak every now and again, but some of the guests he's had on, I think they're not quite right about some of the things that they're saying. And knowing Joe, I think he will be bringing people on who have a different point of view yeah. as we've done on trigonometry, right? We had early on in the pandemic, we had Dr. Suchari Bakhti, uh, on the show, who, who I think is fair to say is quite out there on yeah. a lot of the COVID stuff. More recently, we had someone like Dr. Zubin Damanian, who who has a somewhat heterodox view on COVID, but still talks about some of the, the legitimate things about the vaccine and all of that. And I think it's kind of 
That's the way you deal with these things. You're not going to censor your way out of this. It's just not going to happen. And, and of course, from a political point of view, for the White House to be involved, I mean, as I understand it, is unconstitutional yeah. and frankly outrageous. The fact in the country with the First Amendment, the government wants to get involved in deciding what people can and can't say. It's just, it's horrible. Yeah. Ella, what, what have you made of it? I mean, there's something about this word misinformation that is now bandied around a lot. Does it mean, I mean... As Constantine says, there are definitely some questionable claims being thrown around on Joe Rogan's podcast. But is it really as simple as these statements just being false? Well, no, the, the idea is that Joe Rogan is putting out unfactual things or things, you know, misinformation suggests that like he's got someone on that says, if you step out in front of a car, you won't die. You mm. know, things that are quite fact, obviously provably factually untrue. But if you listen to what, you know, like that Dr. Malone that he had mm. on had to say, the kind of things he was saying was, People have been hypnotized into wearing face masks. It's all a big kind of psyop and nothing, mm. you know. And so you think that's not misinformation. That's just a bad opinion. That's yeah. just opinion I disagree with in the same way that, you know, when some of my friends who tell me, you know, to put crystals in my bag and to get rid of my <laughs> headache, it's not necessarily misinformation. Mm. It's just, it's, it's that murky area where you're like, well, I probably could go out and scientifically prove you wrong, but my gut says no, and that's probably mm. enough for me. And most listeners... I think, you know, Joe Rogan has, like you said, millions and millions and millions of listeners. We know that in the US and the UK and in lots of countries, vaccine take-up has been, particularly in the UK, has been pretty significant. Yeah. You don't have lots of those millions of listeners, mm. you know, listening to one episode with one doctor and thinking, oh my God, I've been brainwashed, you yeah, know, peeling yeah. off their masks. It's not happening. And the lameness of all of this, I think, was really brought home by the fact that it was all about content warnings. Yeah. As if... It would change someone's mind. It is if so, a listener would come across a Joe Rogan podcast without a content warning and suddenly soak it up like a sponge, mm. but a little bar on Spotify telling you go yeah. to this COVID mm. hub is is the thing that would cure it. You know, it's it's depressing. I mean, I'm a fan. I'm a huge fan of Joni Mitchell mm. and a, uh, a fan of Neil Young, although, you know, like many people, I still hold a grudge against him for the whole um, Leonard Skinner, Sweet Home Alabama um, dissing of the kind of every man of the South. So he, you know, his politics has been questionable for a while, but the kind of, the the sad fact of the idea of music being kind of rock and roll or artists having some kind of sway or control or being rebellious to then be literally forcing big business in the form of Spotify to try and control the little listener. Mm. You know, and I know they're kind of getting past it and I know, you know, these Canadian artists aren't exactly the most exciting, but you'd <laughs> hope that Neil Young would come up with something a little bit more exciting than that. Yeah, um, isn't there something almost a bit unique about Spotify actually standing by Rogan? I mean, I know it's exceptional because he's obviously making them a lot of money. Mm. But normally, you know, we've seen in the past couple of years, Facebook and Twitter and YouTube have been very happy to, you know, boot people off their mm. platforms. Mm. It, it is interesting. I mean, we saw it with Chappelle. Netflix stood yeah. by Dave Chappelle as well. So that maybe there's a, a bit of a turning of the tide. Uh, it, I pick up on a couple of points that Ella makes. I think one of them, uh, I certainly would say... There has been stuff that has been said, and this includes my show as well as Rogan, that probably is just factually incorrect. So, for example, I happened to have COVID around December when like everyone had it yeah. uh, for a second time. And it was exactly the time that he had Peter McCullough on, mm. who literally said, and quite sort of aggressively, you can't get COVID twice. Right. Right. Now, that is the sort of thing that I don't think is accurate. But this, at the same time, the, the thing we haven't talked about yet is if you want to censor misinformation, I think you'd have to take down CNN, MSNBC, Fox mm. News, the BBC. 
BBC, ITV, and every other major news channel who told you lots of stuff that wasn't true for the last two years. So to me, what I see this as is actually mainly the people screaming, particularly in the mainstream media about this. They're just upset that he has a bigger audience. (laughs) I think this is really what it's about because they've been doing exactly the same thing in many ways far less responsibly than Rogan because all they've done is question nothing, just regurgitate the government narrative about everything, ask no questions whatsoever. Um, and to me, that is as irresponsible as going out and knowingly spreading misinformation, which I, by the way, I don't think Joe's doing. I think he's interested in people who have a different opinion. I, I don't think he would ever bring someone on who he was like, I think this person is factually wrong about everything, yeah. but this is going to get clicks. That's just not the vibe I get. So I, I think there's a lot of confusion. And I think, you know, you guys are both right in that this word feels kind of, it's like a new word, misinformation in a way. We never really used to talk about it in this way. Um, and I, I don't, I'd be interested to kind of find out how it's made its way into our conversations where, as you say, Ella, things where you choose, you just go, well, my friend says I should put crystals in my bag and this other friend says maybe I should take a paracetamol. Like that never, we never used to have like a disclaimer about that, or we never used to freak out about that because we kind of accepted in a free society, not everyone is going to do what the government tells them to do. And people are going to have different opinions. And if, you know, if people want to live in a society where government says something and everyone does it, you know, I'll happily fund a one-way ticket to North Korea, but we're not there. And that means some people are not going to do what the government wants them to do. And I think we've just somehow forgotten that as uh, in a free society that will happen. Yeah, there seems to be almost no tolerance for dissent or just having a different or even eccentric Mm. view nowadays. I mean, what do you think, Ella? It's also letting off the, particularly the US government, which has for, in many ways, I mean, you know, it's happened in Europe as well. And I think I mentioned this at every single podcast. It's my favorite bugbear. But if you want to talk about misinformation, mm, yeah. European leaders spreading anti-vax mm. sentiment around AstraZeneca for months that have caused fatalities across Europe and the slowdown of vaccine rollout. Why doesn't anyone care? Why doesn't Neil Young or anyone care about that? Mm. But in the US, you've had you know problems with resources about vaccines, problems with resources about PPE, all sorts of things. The, the, yeah. the way in which they've handled the pandemic um, in America has been terrible. You've seen people in the kind of worst areas, the poorest areas, basically having no access to um, hospital treatment. All of that stuff is bad. And yet the thing that they want to go for is this podcast mm-hmm. and you know all the, the problems of a, the American response to the pandemic will be solved if you just make sure people don't listen to Joe Rogan. <laughs> it's, it's complete. It tells you the kind of priorities of um, American elite. I mean, insofar as, you know, Joni Mitchell or whatever, it kind of represent the American elite, but that push that you were talking about for people to want to try and control the narrative, Mm. it's a kind of a proxy for actually dealing with what the question was, which is, did America get enough resources on the ground? Did it have enough materials? Did did they make politically the right decisions? Mm. We know that no, they didn't in many cases. So it feels like a get out. I also just want to mention the fact that we all, we often talk about, you know, cancel culture or things like that and how people respond to it. And it was very refreshing that Dave Chappelle just basically stuck two fingers up to everyone mm. and said, I'm, I'm not even going to play your game, like go away. I was a little bit disappointed that Joe Rogan, who sells himself as the kind of, the uh, kind of an uncancelable figure, 
um, did come out and do that sort of groveling apology and say, oh, I'm going to try and do better. Because Was that your reading of it? I, I, you know, I think lots of people thought that it was reasonable, but I thought if you start apologising for having different people or different voices mm. on, what you're suggesting is that difference is bad. Mm. And you're very right to say there's some there's something, I mean, I can't listen to a three-hour podcast. I can't, I just, <laughs> life is too short. But listening to the highlights, you think, oh, God, I don't know that I'd mm. have that kind of person or have that opinion yeah. on my platform. Mm. But once you start apologising, you give in to this idea that it's dangerous to have different opinions yeah. out there. And you should stand, by your, editor- you it, should by, stand by your editorial choices at the end of the day, yeah. unless you've really made a I don't really think there. he apologised. Did he, did he ever say sorry? I, I, I thought it was actually... It's kind of a like, oh, I'll do better. <laughs> oh. I didn't really... I didn't take that. A non-apology I'm a apology. Maybe I'm a cynic, yeah. but I think he could see the pound sign. <laughs> that was your take. That is so interesting to me because that was completely not my take. And maybe that's because I've not obviously on the same scale, but we kind of feel a measure of responsibility with people that we invite on our show. And it must be crazy to just be a comedian who started a podcast and suddenly you're talking to like hundreds of millions of people about this, such a key issue Mm. to our society. Now, I think the responsibility probably weighs quite heavily on him. So he, he always tries to do better. I don't know that I've really felt that he was like a groveling apology of any kind. I actually thought he stood his ground. He was like, look, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Thank you, Spotify, for standing by me. Yes, I want to explore other perspectives, which is, which I think he does naturally anyway. Yeah. Um, so I, I, for me personally, I'm, I hate when people apologize <laughs> when they've done nothing wrong. And I'm totally with you on that. But on this particular issue, I thought he handled it pretty well, to be honest. Um, and likewise with Chappelle, you, you love to see that. You love to see people going, you know what? No, no, I'm not backing down. Um, and I want to see more of it. Um, but I actually thought he handled it pretty well on this one. Hi, it's Fraser here. I'd like to remind you all about Spiked Supporters. Spiked Supporters is our thriving community of people who donate to Spiked. Anyone who gives £5 or more a month or £50 or more a year can become a Spiked supporter and get access to a number of exciting perks. Spiked supporters can comment on articles, get free and discounted tickets to events, get a discount on all items in our shop and bookmark articles as you browse. This is all our way of saying thank you to all of you who fund our work. Spiked is completely free and yet so many of you still hand over your hard-earned cash to make sure that anyone, anywhere can read us. We're so grateful for that. If you don't give to Spiked yet, then now is the perfect time to start. Just go to spiked-online.com forward slash supporters to set up your donation and your Spiked supporters account. That's spiked-online.com forward slash supporters. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. 
Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Sticking with um, free speech, let's turn to the UK where the our police are starting mm. to resemble George Orwell's, you know, thought police from 1984. There's been three cases, three pretty horrendous cases in the past uh, two weeks or so. Firstly, we've had um, a man convicted for posting a rude tweet about Captain Tom. We've had a gender critical feminist uh, arrested over some stickers she was putting about that said, you know, kind of criticizing um, transgender politics. And uh, another woman who runs a domestic violence charity, she wasn't arrested, but the police told her they needed to check her thinking because of a decision she made around her business. I mean, Ella, which of these has, you know, taken you? the most surprised. <laughs> well, it's it's we have been covering this issue of police overreach, particularly in relation to gender critical views of people who have them. Uh, for a while now, you've had, you know, um, people investigated over tweets, over limericks. You've had people told to check their thinking on a variety of issues. But the, these three um, examples show, I think, how deep the the sort of the policing of thought, the idea that the police should police thought and, yeah. and, and how people think has gone. You know, the Captain Tom tweet is this um, Celtic fan who said something like, oh, the only good soldier is a dead soldier. and Burn fella, fella burn, burn old fella. Burn fella. old fella. Yeah. And like, you know, it's it's a bit like criticising the royal family on the anniversary of Diana's death. It's just like, you don't do it. It's just yeah, bad yeah. taste. Like, don't go there. People look like, what did Captain Tom ever do to you? It's just mm. a stupid um, thing. The guy himself said, it's the worst thing I've ever done. It's yeah. a, you know, it's a bit like I knew a guy who once filmed himself swallowing a goldfish and then he got <laughs> reprimanded for it. And, he, and it's like, you know, if you put something out on on social media mm. in a fit of stupidity, as lots of young men do, um, you know, as, as lots of people do, you then, it's very hard to take it back. The fact that the police got involved in that yeah. just either reveals that the police have nothing better to do, which I don't believe because particularly there's, you know, <laughs> levels of crime or that, or, or that this has become the sort of main, the, the main MO for the police. That mm. This is an easy win for them that they can police hate. It gets some really good kudos on Twitter. It's what all politicians are talking about. We need to clamp down on hate. And so the priority for the police are to, you know, give a, a spanking to this guy who said something nasty about Captain Tom. With the gender critical stuff, you have, in particular, the woman who runs the Women's um, Crisis Centre. It's it really reveals the way in which the kind of hate that is policed is picked out and is selective. Mm -hmm. You have someone who um, is head of uh, organising um, rape crisis centres who happens to be transgender say something which is quite controversial, which is basically that women who come in and don't want to either be housed with uh, transgender women or want to be helped by transgender women are bigots, and yeah. you know we have to just we, you have to deal with that. There are some bigoted people, which. Uh, excuse me, if I was coming in having been raped, mm. I'm told I was a bigot for having that opinion, that'd be pretty offensive. That's fine. Mm. But the woman who 
runs a great crisis center who then says, well, actually, I'm not going to work with this person anymore because I don't agree with it and I don't think it's safe. She's the one that gets investigated by the police. So the idea that this is just like nebulous policing hate, it's not. It's policing a particular kind of viewpoint. And, you know, the the reason why it's so dangerous is because, or I think the reason why it's so shocking coming out now is that we've just had a week of Met Police, but also other police units being revealed to be pretty hateful themselves, yeah. particularly when it comes to women. Misogynistic comments, also comments about feeding um, you know, black kids, African kids as dog meat, all this kind of rank stuff within the police. Mm. And they're supposed to be the paragons of morality and virtue. Give me a break. Mm. Constantine, if it's a crime to be a moron and to you know, tweet nasty things about Captain Tom, we're going to need a lot more prison places, aren't we? Yeah, I think we're, we're all criminals by that standard. Yeah. I think one of the things that this really speaks to, and we've been exploring this on the show quite a bit in, in the last few weeks, is we, we have this culture of safetyism that is mm. bleeding into everything where uh, we want to be kept safe. We want to be kept safe from COVID. We want to be kept safe from the wrong words. We want to be kept safe from everything. And the, it's an understandable desire. You want to be kept safe. But I think once you decide that it is the job of government to provide safety for you in every area of your life, you eventually end up inevitably on the road to, at, at best case scenario, soft authoritarian. Because if the government's job is, is to do everything, right, which in this case it is, then the government will inevitably get involved in things which the government is not the right tool to solve. The government is a very blunt instrument. Uh, so when you're dealing with things like speech, the, the case with Captain Tom, for example, you're talking about, it's a case of like, you have the right to be a dick, but maybe you shouldn't be one. Yeah, That's the conversation that needs to happen. The government is not capable of having the conversation. The government either puts you in prison or it doesn't. Right. And I think the reason we're having all these discussions and we're seeing more and more of this rubbish is that we've given over our agency to the government so much in all these other areas. And increasingly, we demand that it take over new ones and do more and more. And as long as that continues, I don't think you're going to get you're going to get rid of this uh, way of being. We have to kind of rein in the influence of of, of the government, of the police in our day to day lives. And until we do that, this will carry on. Yeah, as, you, as you've alluded to, constantly, you know, the government is increasingly getting into all these areas, telling us when we can and can't leave the house for the past two years, telling us we have to have a scotch egg every time we go to the pub and stuff like that. I mean, Ella. Well, Constantine makes a really good point about the fact that, you know, it gets underplayed how big a deal it is to have the police involved in your life. Mm. You do not want the police involved in your life. The police coming to your house has happened with the lady who had these stickers Mm. and this disabled lady who went around sticking up stickers that said things like, would you let your daughter shower, 13-year-old daughter shower with a man? Or do you believe sex is real? All these like... No no men in women's prisons. Yeah, as you know, pretty, pretty, you know, whatever you can call it controversial, it's a debate that's happening, but it certainly wasn't like um, going around saying hateful things about Mm. trans people necessarily. Um, For her to then open the door, have police come to her house go into her house, reef through her bookshelves, it sounded like, and then pick out um, a book by Heather Brunt's Glevens on the transgender issue mm-hmm. and take that away. That's, you know, don't, I think people use the word trauma too often and I am not don't want to overplay it, but it's a pretty big deal. It's yeah, frightening. Yeah. You think, what's going on? You, you, the police shouldn't be involved in your life for things like that. And there's a real kind of, you're talking about, you know, soft power. Mm. There's just this idea that the police are just, it, it happens in relation to making misogyny a hate crime and all this kind of stuff, that the police should just be involved in our lives all the time at this very low level. 
And it almost makes you want to become one of these kind of ACAB and the police people because you just think (laughs) this is not okay. The police are only meant to be there um, at the very highest level when they're necessary for fighting crime, when something really bad happens, not, as you say, to police everyday behaviour, you know, and also not to police politics. That's the thing that I think has been Mm. completely lost Mm. is that now the police are basically used as a political tool. Mm. If you don't like what someone's saying, you get the police to investigate them. The police stand outside, as we see throughout the pandemic, shopping centres with vans displaying signs that say, you know, it's it's illegal to be offensive or whatever it was. Yeah. So hang on a minute. Being offensive is an offence. Yeah, people have forgotten that the police function as the armed wing of the state and therefore the politicisation of them is a very big problem. Let's talk very quickly um, about the never-ending sort of Partygate saga. We've had the Sue Gray report, part one this week, but also just before we came on the show, uh, Manira Mirza, Boris Johnson's uh, head of the head of the number 10 policy unit has just resigned. It's another another terrible week for Boris, isn't it, Constantine? Uh, do we know why she's resigned? Well, she says that it's over Boris's remarks blaming Keir Starmer for you know, letting Jimmy Savile escape mm. justice. That's very interesting. I have not spoken to Manira for a couple of years, but when I met her, when we had her on the show a few years ago, I was very impressed with her. Mm. I doubt very much she's simply resigned over this one issue. I imagine seems, it's been building up. It seems like the rot is much deeper. I think. Yeah, 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 it is. And look, <laughs> I'm in this weird position where I think Boris Johnson should have resigned a long time ago, yeah. but I don't want him to resign. <laughs> uh, and that's because I really fear what he'll be replaced by. Mm. Uh, you know, you, you, you've got this... On the, I mean, if you talk about the opposition, you've got Labour who seems to be suffering from long Corbyn uh, <laughs> on the one hand. And then, of course, you've got these other people in the Conservative Party, all of whom are more competent than Boris, which terrifies me tremendously. Because <laughs> if you're doing the wrong things competently, mm. that's worse than someone who's just a bumbling idiot, which is what we've had. So that I, I really am torn because... Morally, he should have gone a long time ago. It's clear, you know, they say a fish rots from the head. This is a fish that's rotten throughout, frankly. Um, And I think the culture that exists in in that place, he's clearly responsible for. Um, But on the other hand, I just don't see many very good alternatives to it. And that's, I think, the tragedy for the countries. We just don't have good options. So, yes, he should go. And it's been a terrible week for him. and, And I think they'll keep getting worse. Uh, and eventually he will limp out of there. Who he gets replaced by is the big worry for me. Okay, and finally, let's turn to Canada, where the Freedom Convoy of truckers has driven across the country to Ottawa to protest against uh, mandatory vaccinations. Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister, is said to be in hiding. <laughs> what have you made of this, Ella? Well, didn't he used to be a wrestler or something? So this is just that he's in hiding is a bit lame. But well, he, sh- he shouldn't be in hiding, but he should be ashamed of himself yeah. because the way in which he's talked about this mm-hmm. protest has been, re- it's shown his true colours. I Disgusting. mean, for someone to come out and just say, you know, this, they're trans, throw every insult in the book. At Transphobic, them. Islamophobic, racist. Racist, every kind of ist, every kind of phobic. Um, yes, like all protests that happen spontaneously, a bit like some of the protests that happened around Trafalgar Square, mm. there are some pretty hairy people in, you know, both metaphorically and literally probably <laughs> in that drug <laughs> protest. Some of the signs, I think, oh, someone take that off them or, or make them put it down. But the general sentiment, it's clear to anyone with two eyes, is it's anti-vaccine mandate. Mm. It's calling into question the coronavirus regulations that have continued to be in place in Canada. Mm. And it's truck. it's pissed off truckers 
uh, use it. It's a, it's a kind of a very ordinary uh, industrial action, striking yeah. and using their power to um, try and wield some kind of political change. In any other context, in any other issue, this, you would have people heralding them as heroes. But much like the Gilets Jaunes, mm-hmm. um, like like uh, the anti-vaccine mandate protests that happened um, in this country over the last two years, mm-hmm. if the issue isn't right, isn't the kind of liberal agreed mm-hmm. one, then it's a bad thing. I mean, actually, news is out in the last... Uh, 12 hours that GoFundMe, the account mm. that they're using, raising millions of pounds as it happens, has uh, suspended payments to them, giving some kind of uh, vague reason for saying that they need to check their terms and conditions. But, you know, it's like you, it's, you wouldn't be too conspiratorial to say that there is a desire to just completely shut this thing down. Mm. And I think that it's worth showing solidarity. I mean, if you if you put me in a, a position of picking between Trudeau and the truckers, I know who I'd pick <laughs> because Trudeau has no sense, has never had any sense of what ordinary people in Canada are feeling like. He plays to the auditorium of Twitter. That is what he was doing with those insults. And that's all he's good for. So I hope the truckers... Um, keep him in hiding for longer. Yeah. I mean, Trudeau says that they're espousing essentially a fringe position. I mean, obviously being anti-vax is a fringe position, Mm. but being against mandatory vaccination used to be a normal position. What's happened? Yeah, I don't know. I think what's happened is we've collectively... I don't know how to say this on the respect, on a respectable podcast like this, <laughs> but I think fear has been a big part of yeah. of the last two years, and I think uh, as we're starting to find out now, uh, only recently you might have seen the story in the Telegraph. Forty uh, clinical psychologists wrote to the government to say in this country to say that the tactics that were used mm. to ramp up the fear uh, through this nudge unit, yeah. as they call in government, were immoral. Uh, and and just completely wrong and unethical. And I, I think that's a big part of it. I think people have been really, truly very scared. Uh, and look, this isn't to say the COVID pandemic wasn't, you know, real or wasn't, yeah, very- you know, important to properly respond to or wasn't scary or threatening to a lot of people. Of course it was. But uh, we've, we, we're dealing with a fundamental case of risk misassessment, right? And because we've misassessed the risk, we then misass- misassess what needs to be done about it. If you think the whole situation is far worse than it actually is, you're much more likely to buy into this authoritarian stuff. And it truly, it's been eye-opening and truly worrying the extent to which people are willing to throw away some very fundamental things about consent, yeah. medical ethics, and so on that has happened. So I don't... I don't know what the exact numbers would be, but I don't think that being anti-vaccine mandate, a vaccine mandate is basically saying the government has a right to tell you, you must put this in your body. That's a pretty extreme position to which a significant portion of the public have been brought around to in in a very short period of time. I do think there's a significant opposition. And as you're seeing uh, with the media and with these politicians like Trudeau, there's a deliberate, and it's very deliberate, conflation between being anti-vax, which I do think is quite a loony position to be taking. Now, there's some concerns about the safety and whatever, but they're, they're marginal issues, right? The fundamental issue, the vaccine is very clearly able to reduce your risk of serious illness, but to conflate being against the mandate with being against the vaccine is a deliberate way to smear people and to tarnish people who are actually standing up for a very fundamental principle, which is your bodily autonomy. Thank you for listening to The Spike Podcast. We're back every Friday and you can now watch us on video too. Check us out on YouTube or go via the Spiked website, which is spiked-online.com. See you next time. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. 